to hear a story clap your hands. Oh, the frog! Oh, good idea! You're watching Redbox Premieres. How are you guys doing tonight? Just ahead on Elevating Denver. We are celebrating our Denver Nuggets. We are doing a Fire Operations 101. We hope to see you again as we discover more of Denver's art scene. I think the Denver music scene is huge. You're not going to have a bad time, I promise. Feel free to pitter-patter call a pug. The cops came and shut that party down, but the band lived on. We're here at one of Denver's most unique art venues. It's the most special place I can think of for us to share our music. Thanks for watching, Denver. makes recommendations to the mayor and Denver City Council on rezoning requests, district design standards, and other land use rules. This meeting of the Denver Planning Board begins now. that do not have a hearing or item on our regular agenda. So this is a time for to let us know something you think planning board should know, but planning board will not be responding or entering to the dialogue uh, about it because it's not on our publicly noticed agenda. So if you are here to give comment on something you would like planning board to know about that is not otherwise on our publicly noticed agenda, please raise your hand now. I don't see anyone online that has registered and I don't see anyone in person. All right, thank you. Um, with that, um, we don't have any medium records to approve um, and no consent agenda items, so we'll move into our regular agenda. Before we do, I was going to ask if there are any planning board members that had of any items for disclosure or recusal on today's agenda. Oh, Jordan. No recusal, just wanted to find that I have, we'll have to leave a little bit early. Great, thank you. 
<laughs> what time are you leaving? You can make sure we have quorum. Just before five. <coughs> okay, wonderful. Um, I will um, be making a disclosure related to item number four, um, the 17th of November. As we move into our agenda, the board can consider waiving staff presentations for case numbers. Um, and uh, is there anyone here from the public who would just like to speak to certain items? I'll highlight those cases and we'll see if there's anyone registered online for them and see if there's anyone from the board. I will call out item six, which is uh, an official map amendment rezoning 1901 North Oneida Street from SUDX to ESUD1X. So again, this is um, these items I will be listing are items that staff has identified that do not seem to have significant controversy, are clearly consistent with rezoning criteria, and we could choose to waive the staff presentation on them. So they are item six, item eight. This is an official map amendment for zoning 735 North Ray Street from USUC to USUC1. Number nine, uh, official map amendment rezoning 3096 South Roslyn Street from SUD to SSUD1. And number 10, official map amendment application 2023I0113, uh, rezoning 6750 East Exposition Avenue from SSUF to SSUF1A. I am not seeing anyone registered online to speak to any of those items. Is there anyone here in the room to speak to those items or does anyone from our board want to call those out for staff presentation? I'm the property owner of number 10. Why? I think you're that? okay unless, because uh, you're probably for your application. So you're probably here more for yeah. <laughs> yeah, <great. laughs> uh, But thank you very much for letting us Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Um, we will still open and close public hearings for each of those. Um, so with that, I'll request a motion and a second to waive staff precinct. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to move. If, Wait, oh, if we're moving, uh, <laughs> move that we waive staff presentations for items number six, eight. Nine and ten. Uh, Second. Great. <laughs> Thanks so much. I'll do a roll call vote. Melissa? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Claude? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Jordan? Aye. Angel? Aye. Oh my. Okay. Like, got you. My name's Betty Ferry. Thank you. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Aye. Go, Jen. Aye. Fred? Aye. And I say aye as well. Sorry about that. Um, all right. Moving on to our regular agenda. Um, I was going to speak on this first item, which is Urban Redevelopment Plan 17th and Newton URA. Um, I just have a disclosure in that I worked on and my firm worked on the original rezoning on this project back in 2018 and 2019, but I've not been involved in the urban renewal plan um, that we are considering today. So I feel like I can um, objectively uh, review and vote on it based on the criteria. So with that, um, we will go ahead and move to a staff presentation and I will open the hearing on this. Um, do we have Chelsea? Hi. Thanks. I think Tracy is well. Great. Great. I'm Chelsea Benuna, a senior city planner with CPD. And today I'll be presenting on the proposed urban redevelopment plan by the Denver Urban Renewal Authority for the 17th and Newton area. The 
Urban Redevelopment Plan, or URP, will authorize the use of tax increment financing or TIP for this area. Tracy Huggins from Dura is present today and will share more details on this project um, right after this presentation. And she'll also be available to answer any questions you may have. So um, the planning board's role in the establishment of an urban redevelopment plan is defined by Colorado law, which charges Denver's planning board with reviewing the proposed 17th and Newton redevelopment plan and assessing whether it conforms with the comprehensive plan and its supplements. Dura will then transmit this finding to city council as they consider approval of the plan. Um, I just wanna remind everyone that we're not considering the zoning or anything related to the design density traffic impacts, et cetera. Um, that was decided when the current zoning was approved a few years ago, and it's not a part of today's discussion. Uh, the details of the project finances are also not relevant to today's discussion. So the URP will define an urban redevelopment area, or URA, in the West Colfax neighborhood. The property in the area is generally bounded by 17th Avenue to the north, Newton Street to the west, 16th Avenue to the south, and private property occupied by the Sloan's Lake Medical Center to the east. The area is currently utilized as a surface parking lot for the staff and patients of the Sloan's Lake Medical Center. The proposed URP will authorize the use of tax increment financing to facilitate the revitalization of the area through the creation of new housing opportunities, including units affordable to low-income households, multimodal transportation improvements, and the construction of a parking garage for use by the residents of the income-restricted units and to replace the parking needed for the patients and staff of the adjacent Sloan's Lake Medical Center. Tracy's presentation, which will follow this one, will get into more detail on the proposed project. And again, she'll be best positioned to answer questions on this proposal. The redeveloper intends to redevelop the area into a mixed income residential development and make several infrastructure improvements needed to enhance connectivity and pedestrian and bike safety in the area. Um, the project's development program includes reconnection of 16th Avenue between Newton Street and Lowell Boulevard, the creation of a linear park and bicycle pedestrian path through the area along the Mead Street alignment, and enhancement of the maintenance drive and entrance to the medical office building. The subject site is currently zoned as a planned unit development, PUDG number 21. The custom zone district is based on the CMX 8 standard zone district with modifications to allowed height, protected district standards, street level activation standards, allowed uses and parking. And the custom zone district allows a mix of uses that promote safe, active and pedestrian scaled commercial streets through the use of building forms that clearly define and activate the public street edge. There's a mixture of land uses and building forms in the area. Apart from the abutting medical center, the land uses immediately surrounding the site are primarily residential, and the residential uses vary and include single unit, two unit, and larger multi-unit buildings. The subject site's currently utilized as a surface parking lot for the staff and patients of the Sloan's Lake Medical Center. The proposed URP includes 10 objectives, which are included in the staff report and listed on this slide and the following slide. I just wanna highlight um, a few of the key objectives, which include eliminating the blighted conditions, promoting a diverse mix of housing options, and encouraging pedestrian and multimodal friendly development. The question before planning board today is whether the proposed 
plan conforms with the comprehensive plan 2040 and its supplements, which include Blueprint Denver and the West Area Plan. With regards to the comprehensive plan 2040, CPD staff finds that the URP conforms to many different objectives and policies in the plan. And this is covered in full in the staff report. Um, but the two main community benefits that we see this project providing are affordable housing and increased connectivity. And these benefits align with our plans. Again, as outlined in the staff report, uh, staff finds that the URP conforms to Blueprint Denver and will further many of the goals and strategies in the plan, including these examples up here on this slide, um, which are land use and built form housing policy six, um, increasing the development of affordable housing and mixed income housing, particularly in areas near transit services and amenities. And then mobility policy one, which encourages mode shift, um, more trips by walking, rolling, biking, and transit through efficient land use and infrastructure improvements. <coughs> the URP will promote development that supports complete neighborhoods and networks envisioned in Blueprint Denver, including neighborhood context, place, street type, and the growth strategy. The proposed URA is within the urban center context. And Blueprint Denver describes urban center neighborhoods as dense and vibrant areas that support residents and visitors. This context contains high intensity residential and significant employment areas. Development typically contains a high mix of uses with good street activation and connectivity and residents living in this context are well served by high capacity transit and have access to ample amenities and entertainment options. The proposed URA is designated as community center, which is intended to include an active street level presence and contain a good mix of commercial, retail, office, and residential uses. A wide customer draw both of, of local residents from surrounding neighborhoods and from other parts of the city. Activity levels during times of the day will vary depending on the type of mix of uses. Um, regarding street types, 17th Avenue is identified as a residential collector and those are characterized primarily by residential uses, but may, may also include schools, civic uses, parks, small retail nodes, and other similar uses. Both Newton Street and 16th Avenue are categorized as local streets or undesignated. This URP is also in alignment with the West Area Plan's goals and recommendations, um, and in particular, the vision which calls for creating a mix of housing options that appeal to all types of residents at varying stages of life and at all income levels, and reprioritizing streets and key corridors to increase safety for accessible walking, rolling, biking, and enhanced transit. Based on the analysis in the staff report, uh, CPD staff finds that the 17th and Newton URP conforms to Comprehensive Plan 2040 and its supplements, and we recommend that Planning Board make this finding. Now, I will hand it over to Tracy to talk more about the project. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. My name is Tracy Huggins. I'm the Executive Director of the Denver Urban Renewal Authority. I'm hoping if I just advance this. Um, so I wanted, uh, as, as was mentioned, just give a little bit more context about the project itself. And I'm going to 
say a couple of things that at which point then I'm going to immediately look to staff to make sure I am saying things correctly, because I do think that an important component of this is the outcome of the rezoning that occurred in 2019 to really allow for this development that you'll see a, a rendering of in, in just a moment to occur really allowing for there to be um, much higher density and certainly additional height um, opportunities on the site. So I think that is, is an important uh, part of this. So um, the location of this proposed urban redevelopment area is in the West Colfax neighborhood that is in council district number three. It's just over four acres in size. Uh, the redeveloper who is also present this afternoon in the event there are uh, specific questions of him is David Zucker with Zocalo Community Development. We've already touched a little bit on the zoning as well as the existing uses and just want to reemphasize those connectivity issues because as you will see here in a moment, that is one of the blighting conditions that was identified pursuant to an independent study that Dura had commissioned for the site. As planning board is, is very aware, Dura cannot bring forward a proposed urban redevelopment area without there being um, evidence to support city council's finding of the area being blighted. Those four bulleted items you see on the slide are indicative of the conditions that the site currently is encountering that is both limiting its developability in general, but really also limiting the developability of this specific project as contemplated under the, uh, under the PUD. So those include the predominance of defective or inadequate street layout. You've heard about these, uh, the connectivity issues, deterioration of site or other improvements, the inadequate public improvements that the site is uh, encountering, as well as the substantial underutilization when it is being used as a surface parking lot that is not really consistent with the um, broader objectives of the PUD or the other um, area plans. So this slide has a ton of information and I'm gonna step through it word by word, just kidding, to be able to really um, show what, what this is. Um, you've already seen the, the rendering previously of the different pieces of the project, but what we really wanna do, and the reason that Dura is here is to help provide the financing through this urban renewal plan to be able to support this mixed income a development that will not only provide a mix of housing opportunities across a variety of income levels, but also address those blighting conditions through the enhanced connectivity. This is one project, but it has several discrete components that will be undertaken in a specific order. And again, just most fundamentally, the reason that Dura is here is because of those mix of incomes. If this was just a market rate development, there likely would not be a need for us, but that is hardly the case. Consistent with the PUD that was brought forward and the, that broader development vision, this really is a project that seeks to deliver a significant number of affordable units at a, a varying levels of affordability, combined with then a significant number of market rate units that together comprise the project. So, I'm going to start with the affordable component, which is the yellow portion of that rendering in the lower left of, of that depiction. This will be a four-story uh, development that will deliver 158-unit income-restricted um, housing units. 
These are being supported through financing being provided in part by, um, by CHAPA. And you can see on the top part of this slide, the mix of bedroom sizes, as well as the uh, level of affordability that will be expected to be maintained through, um, through that affordable component. In addition though, the financing that has been put together for the affordable component um, is to exclude the cost for the tenants of that affordable unit to park on the site. And so the, uh, the first part to be taken, um, to be done from a construction standpoint will be construction of the parking garage. As was noted earlier, the site is currently being used for parking for the adjacent medical office building. They need a place to continue to be able to park both the, the, um, the employees as well as the uh, patients and visitors, but then also be able to deliver parking for the affordable component. So it's that parking that has to occur first <clears throat> that then will um, allow for the uh, undertaking of the affordable component and then there's also the tower component. This is primarily market rate, but there are now at least 15 affordable uh, units that will be included in this. And it really is, and we'll talk, even though it's not relevant to this conversation, I do want to talk about the tax increment structure here a little bit, but that will be the last part of the project to come together. Um, but without one, you can't have the other. So it really is one project, even though it is going to be undertaken in a level of sequencing, um, as I just described. To be clear, the tower component will be self-parked with 499 parking spaces for that component of the project. The parking garage will provide, again, that parking for both the existing medical office user as well as for the affordable component. In order to make all of these pieces work together, the uh, developer is ready to begin construction on the parking garage just as quickly as we are able to secure um, the total uh, council approval of the, of the entirety of the plan. So a rendering of what the project uh, is likely to look at look like. Uh, the rendering on the left, that is looking from the affordable component back towards then the tower component um, within the parking garage being set behind it. The rendering on the right is looking from the uh, base of the, of the tower component. We've already spoken some about the connectivity that this project will deliver. So in addition to the affordable housing units, Dura's role will be to help offset some of the costs to be incurred to deliver those infrastructure improvements. And so this is, um, I apologize, I keep changing the orientation of this. So in this rendering, the exist existing medical office building is in the upper left within the parking garage at, at the upper right. And then I'll confuse it again by showing some of the access that this is intended to deliver from a bike ped standpoint, as well as the enhanced drop-off for the uh, medical office building. Again, it will not be a full vehicular uh, connection from one side to the other, because it really is focused on, on the pedestrian, but it will really enhance the overall connectivity in this area. So there is consistent with the original rezoning, a development agreement that was entered into with the property owner and the city 
there have been some modifications to the overall project that is now needing to be memorialized in an updated development agreement, again, to really capture how this project um, and the affordable units is, is needing to be consistent with what a continuing development agreement with the city would include. And then as, as was noted, it is not a, a uh, finding of, of this board regarding the tax increment assistance, but I really do believe that it's always important for us to be able to tie all of the components of our role in a project together, starting with the urban renewal plan itself that identifies those blighting conditions. It also identifies what the project is intended to be. And we do, our, our, our support then is through the use of tax increment for costs related to blight elimination, as well as the outcomes that we are really seeking to support, most primarily that development vision of, um, of the affordable housing. As with any uh, urban renewal plan we take through city council, there are other companion documents that also need to be put in place, including specific agreements with the other taxing entities regarding our ability to capture and utilize the tax increment generated by their respective mills. Um, we have entered into agreements with Urban Drainage and Flood Control, also known as Mile High Flood Control, who is allowing us to capture and utilize all revenues attributable to their mill levy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we've also entered into an agreement with Denver Public Schools regarding the impact that this development may have on their ability to deliver services. And under that agreement, <coughs> excuse me, under that agreement, Dura is able to capture all of the increment generated by the DPS mill. And we have a requirement that over the 25 years under which we will be collecting the tax increment, we will pay over to them a sum total of $5.72 million as they have calculated that being the likely impact that this development will have on their ability to deliver services. So that is straight lined over the 25 years DPS understands that in those first years of, of construction, there won't be any increment. And so whatever amount is due in year one rolls over to year two. And in the agreement, it contemplates that the first year of payment to DPS would be in 2028. In both the DPS and the urban drainage agreements, it does have a requirement that the project must be commenced no later than December 31st of 2026. As I said before, we have every anticipation that that is commenced much earlier in that. <coughs> but we do want to have a stopgap in the event the project should falter, that um, we don't continue to collect the increment without a project being in place. From a schedule standpoint, um, last week, the Dura board, the DPS board, and the Urban Drainage board all approved the, uh, the requirements applicable to them. We are here today with you, hoping to get a favorable finding of conformance with the comprehensive plan. Uh, we then will be moving forward through the city council process. Our current working schedule is that we would go to the finance and governance committee in very early April, and then conclude that process with a public hearing on or about April 22nd. And that is not my slide. Uh, and so with that, happy to answer any questions that you may have. Great, thank you so much, Tracy. We'll take public comment and then come back around for questions. Um, so with that, and we do have a few people signed up for public testimony. 
Um, so all persons wishing to speak have registered to speak prior to the public hearing. I'll call you up in order of registration, both online and in person. Speakers are limited to three minutes unless translation or other accommodations are needed. And please do let us know if that's the case when you begin. And then speakers will be given a 30 second warning and a signal when their time is expired. Uh, please state your name and address if comfortable before making your statement and indicate whether you support, oppose, or are neutral about the proposal. Um, so with that, the first person we have signed up to speak is online, Jonathan Pira, and Chantel Mullenix is next in line in the room. Uh, Jonathan, uh, if you are available online, go ahead and unmute yourself and state your name and address for the record, please. Great, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, all right. Uh, yes, my name is Jonathan Pira. My address is 1514 Newton Street. Thank you, go ahead. All right, good afternoon, planning board members. Uh, my name is Jonathan Pira. As I said, I live one block from the 17th and Newton development site, which has for a long time been a surface parking lot that's rarely even half full. I supported the rezoning application for this property a few years ago, and I'm really happy to be here today to support the urban renewal district that will allow the use of tax increment financing. A lot has changed since that initial rezoning application was filed before this board a few years ago, including the pandemic and a severe increase in construction costs. I'm excited that Zocalo has persevered over these years and will still be able to deliver a project providing more than 180 affordable units alongside the park. Uh, this project will help, help recreate a mix of incomes in our neighborhood after years of displacement of our lower income neighbors. Notably, the project will utilize a prioritization process. It gives first dibs on affordable units to people who have been recently displaced or are at risk of being displaced from the neighborhood. Our neighborhood is close to multimodal transportation infrastructure and key amenities in the city, meaning the hundreds of new residents this project will house will finally get to enjoy the benefits that I, a neighbor, already experience. Durr and Zocalo have worked well with our community, and as you'll see in the staff report, this project is largely aligned with both the city's comprehensive plan and our neighborhood's recently adopted West Area plan. The notable exception to this and to that alignment, in my mind, is the creation of far too much parking as compared to both the need and our West Area Plans directives to minimize parking provision in the neighborhood, thereby spending Dura funds on parking spaces that could instead have been more affordable units. Please do support this urban renewal plan, though I'd hate to see this underutilized lot sit here forever or eventually be built upon without any of the affordable housing that this project promises. Thank you. Thank you. Next in person, we have Chantel Mullenix, if you want to come up to this microphone right here, thanks. And next up is John Lucero. Hi, I'm Chantal Molinix. I live at 1240 Raleigh Street. Um, I live in the West Colfax neighborhood for over 10 years, and I also am the affordable housing chair for West Colfax Association Neighbors, the local RNO, just to give some context. Um, I am in support of the redevelopment at 17th and Newton um, and using the Urban Renewal Fund. Um, just to give some context that Jonathan mentioned as well, around the de, um, rapid gentrification displacement that has taken place in our neighborhood. And to kind of give you some context of where this location is on 17th and Newton falls almost um, exactly in between two elementary schools, Cheltenham, Cheltenham Elementary and Colfax Elementary. And then just two blocks uh, north is Lake Middle School. And if you wanna know how gentrification displacement has affected our neighborhood, you just have to look at the schools 
and DPS, and we're in the news all the time because those are the declining en enrollment schools. And so just to give some numbers, um, in 200, in 2000, since 2014 to 2022, Cheltenham lost 179 kids in enrollment and Colfax Elementary lost 150 kids. So this is just ECE to fifth graders, 329 kids that have been um, displaced or have moved away from the neighborhood when we think about enrollment and how much decline has happened there. So one of the main reasons um, is that I'm in support of this project for affordable housing is just to offset this devastation that has happened to West Colfax. Um, the, uh, the Zocalo project um, is delivering a lot of two and three bedroom units. And the way that affordable housing works is that those will produce more kids and those that will impact our schools that are right there. So um, really excited about that. Um, the other thing I just wanna talk about with the connectivity is the pedestrian walkway that you saw in the map of what's gonna be added in. Um, if you move further down to Mead Street and Colfax, that is actually where a light exists to cross Colfax. And if you can imagine the number of kids that we have that have to cross Colfax to get to school on a regular basis. Um, and Lake Middle School in particular that has over 600 kids and many of them have to cross um, Colfax and walk um, alone without parents, all those things. Um, so really excited about that connectivity, the pedestrian that we know that our kiddos will be using. Thank you. Uh, next is John Lucero here in person, and then we have Fatima Diaz uh, available online after that. Are you just here for questions? Okay, great. Uh, Fatima, you are up next. We want to go ahead and unmute and give your name and address. Fatima Diaz, go ahead and unmute yourself and give your name and address if you can. Hi. Oh, we can hear you now. Go ahead. I'm great. I've been living in Denver for over 20 years and paying taxes since 1995. Um, I'm opposed to this because um, this defies the purpose of the neighborhood. I have two um, teenage daughters that I take care of at home, and I'm absolutely against it. Thank you. I think that is it for public comments on that. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and start with questions um, from the board members. Before we do, I do want to just reorient all of us. I know we're so used to our rezoning criteria. This one is very different when we look at our Berman wall plans. We just have the one question before us, which is, is the proposed 17th and Newton urban redevelopment plan in conformance with the Denver Comprehensive Plan and its applicable supplements? So just kind of that um, one question before us to consider. So with that, any questions from the board or discussion or comments? I actually did have a question um, then. I was not on the board in 2019 for the rezoning. Um, with the the status as a PUD, is that it looks like it was done in 2019, but um, is that separate from Chapter 59? Is that I was looking for information on the PUD and, and couldn't really find it. It's a Denver Zoning Code PUD. Okay. Yep. Current code. That's right. Okay. Yes, that's so actually more clear. It is based on the current on the okay. Denver Zoning Code. Okay. The, the new current code. Okay. 
Um, yeah. I guess I, I would have liked to look through the PUD, but other than that, I don't have any questions. Uh, any other questions from the board? Um, how was the, I guess my question would be that this was done in 2019. The calculations for parking, as we mentioned before, was probably done in 2019. How does that mix with uh, the West Area plans? I don't know if Chelsea would be the right person to speak to kind of how the West Area plans recommendations around parking as it relates to this property's plans for parking is, or is that someone else from staff? Planning board, Kurt Upton with Community Planning and Development. The question, just to make sure I heard you right, was how does the project relate to the West Area Plan's recommendations around parking? Uh, the calculations that was done, in, I'm assuming in 2019, right. um, how does that all relate to now the West Area Plan that was completed in 2023? Got it. Right. So the West Area Plan, you're correct, it was done after the, the, the PUD doesn't get into specific ratios of parking, especially at the project level. It provides general guidance that is uh, that you see similar in some of our other neighborhood plans that says to create efficient parking, especially near multimodal transportation, um, not to over park an area, especially near uh, multimodal transportation. And so um, our finding is that this, this project is meeting that overall goal. It, we don't see this as uh, an, an oversupply of parking. Um, the, the market has kind of established what the parking ratio is for this development, which we see as consistent with our plans. And Kurt, can I do a follow-up? Right now, is it surface parking to be replaced with parking structures? So, Correct. Yeah. Um, I have a few questions kind of digging into what Mary already brought up, but some of it is a little bit of process um, because I happen to know that there are several differences between that original agreement and <clears throat> agreement. And so trying to understand, like we are voting on this proposal, but what it does is it changes the development agreement. And so I'm making sure, <laughs> I'm trying to make sure that I'm asking the right questions that I can ask with, with how we're making this decision. But I, I would appreciate a little more discussion about the differences between the original development agreement and what's being proposed here, because I know that there are differences in the affordability between the two um, that we have not actually talked about. So I, maybe a legal question. The development, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam. The development agreement was not before planning board originally and right. is a city council piece. And so it's not something we vote on. We're looking at the plan and its conformance. Um, that said, I would be happy to have your questions around it <laughs> answered. Um, I don't know who the right person would be. I know you had that slide, Tracy. Yeah. I just know we'd move past that really quickly without actually talking about the, the differences. The development agreement will be revised. Janet, could you just? I'm sorry. Janet, yeah, no, I work no at the mayor's office. Um, the development agreement will be revised. It's in the process of being revised and it's not yet. Um, in this new development agreement, the requirements for affordable housing are considerably higher. Uh, the 
the previous development agreement, although there was a, sort of a large LIHTC project contemplated, did not explicitly spell out sort of all of the affordability site. New development agreement will do that and will also provide that should for some reason um, the, um, the the level of the number of units in the market rate tower changes and increases again that the number of affordable units will also increase again. And then there are just a couple of more updates to bring the development agreement up to date with current practice. The time that the previous development agreement was um, prepared, city supportable housing programs were run out of um, what was then called OED. Um, the Office of Economic Development we since have established a separate department, Department of Housing Stability to administer programs. And some of the covenants and some of the, uh, just the administrative practices have changed. And so the last 12 But it, for the most part, um, it, it's a pretty simpler thing. It, it won't go to council. Um, it'll be done administratively. It's not, it's not complete yet because we're still working on it. So I guess I have a couple more specific questions. Sure. I guess this is about process, like regardless of whether we're voting on it here, just trying to understand like what is happening. Um, because I know this original agreement happened as a part of a rezoning. That rezoning was sponsored by a council member in exchange for 50% affordability. Um, that was a part of the agreement of that original rezoning. Can I speak to that slightly? Um, just, just, just so that you can include this in the predicate of your question. Um, the, the, the market rate tower, which hasn't changed in shape or size, has changed quite a bit in terms of the number of units and the composition of units. So it was supposed to be large luxury condos, and now it's going to be smaller market rate units. So it'll be more units, but no luxury condos anymore. Okay. because <laughs> the I'm trying my understanding this is why I'm like trying to go back in history and understand what's being changed and where all of these pieces are changed because we're voting on this TIF but in this original agreement there was a certain amount of affordability there were conversations at least with the neighboring community because this was a council sponsored rezoning um, about how many family serving units there would be about bedroom counts about not having one affordable and one market rate building because that's not it's just not good practice um but that's sort of how this has shaken out here and so i'm trying to understand where all these pieces are and then there was a whole other conversation about saying they would take the city subsidies now we're here for this things have changed I know we're only voting on this part. I'm just trying to understand where all of these different changes live and how what we're voting on actually impacts what's going in there and what was originally agreed upon by, you know, the neighborhood and the developer in the city. The, the denominator has changed. So like the overall number of units on the site has changed. There are now more units on the site because they don't have these large luxury condos, which is sort of one way of saying 50% affordable units is now high 30s instead. But the mass, the amount of floor area that is devoted to um, affordable housing is, is higher than it was in the previous agreement because we didn't have affordable units in the market. 
absolutely agree with you that it is city policy, it's your preference, it's your most preference, and mayor's office for everybody's preference to integrate affordable housing with market rate housing. Um, just because of the difficulty of, of, of financing LIHTC projects, it doesn't tend to happen that LIHTC projects are integrated or even condominiumized within market rate buildings because you just can't get them financed or built that way. And so even, I believe in 2019, when I'm looking at the developer here, it was anticipated there would be a separate LIHTC project at the corner of um, But that, that, the matching <coughs> program for that building has not changed. What has changed is that the market rate tower is no longer condominiums. It's composed of smaller units and some of those units that's what I wanted to confirm because I thought I heard you say that the tower doesn't have affordable, but I thought I saw on the chart. Yeah, I mean, it's said it does out of 263, so it's not. It's still one all affordable building and one almost all market rate building. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, but I don't know. Is that the number? I yeah, I wrote it down. Just a quick follow up on that. <laughs> yeah. Since we're designing it as one project um, from the fair housing. Um, how how is that how is it possible to actually segregate because from the fair, uh, fair housing act standpoint um, like there should be this equal distribution of units within the project depends the definition of the project but there will be a work. legally separate light tech project will come have a project at the corner uh, of 16 i don't know john or david if you want to come speak to these issues but it, it's but it's one urban renewal project one as defined renewal. under the yeah. urban renewal, right? Uh, but then the distribution of low income units is focused on one building as opposed to throughout the. I mean, typically what we see on that on in projects, right? Depends on what the definition of a project is. But if we define this as a project, then um, the low income units should be distributed throughout the uh, project. Um, Throughout the floors, unit types, um, etc. Legally, there are separate projects on this site which will compose one. I think that's what I'm having a hard time understanding. Where are they separate and where they are together as one project? I, hear your last I think that's what I'm having a hard time understanding. Um, why we define it as a one project for TIF purposes, but as different purposes for allocating affordable units. Sorry, Mosa, I didn't mean to. No, 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 thank you. No, <laughs> no that, that is a, a great question. Um, and so it is it is just how, how it is we are choosing to define a project. So within an urban renewal project, like I said, it is a project. We would not be here if it was not for the entirety of the project because the financing wouldn't actually work for us to be able to provide the tax increment that is going to be generated by the tower to pay for the costs that are not um, being able to be uh, covered by the affordable component. So for our purposes, we have to look at it and want to look at it as one project delivering all of these outcomes. From a specific development standpoint though, there will be different um, uh, ownership and financing attributable to the different pieces within that project. So like Shannon said, there is a separate entity that will be doing the development for the uh, for the low-income housing tax credit supported projects. 
not sure if there's a separate entity uh, for the garage <coughs> itself and then likely another one for the, um, but they all have a, a common for the tower. They all have common uh, developer support and, and bringing all of that together. One other thing I, I failed to mention, and if you can imagine that rendering in your mind's eye, that there are also nine uh, workforce townhomes that are for sale townhomes that will be along the parking garage. So there's the affordable component, there's the parking garage. The parking garage also then includes the nine for sale workforce limited at um, no more than 100% AMI, as well as then the 15 units in the tower. And those front, the, the main street alignment. So the parking garage serves the entire project, both affordable and market rate. No. Yeah. It serves the, the medical office building users and the, um, the light tech project. The tower will address the parking needs for all of the units that it is delivering. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, so, I understand. Okay. I'm still struggling with the distribution. I'm struggling with, with how we got here because yes, I know it was luxury condos and now it is market rate, but also it went from for sale to rental. And so that's not quite a, a give. I'm just, part of this is me asking how we got to this decision. And part of it is like truly mechanics of how this is justifiable and like what, where we're going with this because that rezoning at the time i think it was like four extra stories in exchange for the level of affordability and so i like i, I just i'm in this neighborhood i'm like <laughs> very familiar with this project i just want to make sure I, that... I was anyway i can i can give you a little bit of background here that the, the way the project was initially intended to be financed was that the luxury condos would be sold at a level that would allow that that project, the luxury condominium project, to subsidize the affordable component of the project and to subsidize that part of the garage. And that was predicated on an understanding of the market based on um, proposed sale houses, sale prices at Lake House just down the street, a few blocks down the street on the same end of this thing. And those sale prices never materialized at Lake House and became um, unrealistic um, to put the pro forma together for this project. And so therefore there was no sort of ability for a luxury condominium project to cross subsidize the affordable project on this thing. And so in rethinking how the pro forma was going to work, um, they switched to doing market rate rentals, which was considerably less profitable and not able to throw on um, the same. It explains how we got here project-wise. It doesn't explain how we got here, like city agreement-wise, I guess. Angel. Yes, thank you for this. Um, I know this looks like a really huge complex project that needs to pencil all of it. Um, so I, I, I gathered that that's all the different components and, and, and so forth. I am just curious for my edification a, a Dura project such, such as this, what are the goals and parameters? For instance, you take a blighted area. Are you 
um, bound to, uh, by any kind of criteria to then make a certain portion of it affordable or amenable for the community. Can you explain overall how that Durham Bank works? Sure. Maybe I'll do my, I'll do my best, but I mean, the short version. Yeah. Let's see, that's the thing. Our projects are so varied, but I will try to do a short version. Most fundamentally, our statutory charge is the elimination of blight, the, the elimination or uh, seeking to uh, stop it from happening in, in the first place. And so that is our, our fundamental charge. And we do that then through supporting redevelopment that is consistent with eliminating the blight and consistent with those, those plans. Included then in the urban renewal plan is a description of the project that will speak to what that project is intended to be. And we do that in really close coordination with the mayor's office, with planning, with host and others to really make sure we are maximizing the outcomes that collectively the city is looking to achieve. Now, this is where things get a little interesting. There is no requirement in, in Dura's um, uh, role of how many affordable units a project is going to have. That is really the purview of host to be able to negotiate that. We do, however, work closely with them to say, here's how much the project might be able to support in, above and beyond what a developer might be thinking. Maybe there's, again, a project comes to us because it doesn't pencil financially anyway, but to the extent we could do more, we want to work with them in that regard. Do we have projects that have zero affordable housing? Yes, we do. In part because that is really what the community needed to bring some balance. Most of our projects though do include some amount and as much as we can help support of affordable housing consistent with what has been negotiated between the developer and host. Thank you, well said, that, that's helpful. Okay. Question, I think that also gonna be for Tracy. Um, I have a question about mobility. I also live in a neighborhood. I try to take slight offense to the light terminology related to this connectivity. So I do have a question about it. Having lived in a neighborhood, I remember conversations about having some kind of circulator bus or some kind of vehicular connectivity on Mead. Um, the project just proposes uh, pedestrian and bike connectivity. So in my mind, doesn't really address the concern of the blight um, resulting from the lack of connectivity in context of actually having some kind of public transportation on me. So can you speak to that? Again, it's, it's that balancing of what is the agreement that the developer in the city, going back to that development agreement that had that type of connection, and how that that can then in turn address that most fundamental blighting condition of the, the uh, lack of, of connectivity. Sometimes it's going to be vehicular, sometimes it's not. Uh, but that was what came to us from the agreement already in place with the city regarding that level of connectivity. So is there... How does this question? Is there a definition of uh, mitigation of blight? Like to what level the blight needs to be addressed to be fully resolved. Because in this case, I think it's only partially resolved because it's only a partial connectivity that's, uh, that is uh, provided. Because it's not vehicular, that's why yeah. completely. It's, it is, it's a different level, it's enhanced uh, um, connectivity over what is there currently. And so again, it's that intersection of what are the challenges on the site? What is the project 
needing to be, particularly by, by virtue of those other agreements that are in place, most notably the development agreement, and how do we bring those things together to uh, address that connectivity? It may not be the end all, but it is certainly an improvement over what is there currently. Um, two questions. One is a follow-up to both of these, which I'm a little bit confused because when Melissa's asking her question, the response is, well, there's going to be a new development agreement. But then when Gosha asks her question, it's like, well, because the development agreement. So can you sure. clarify that? Tracy, things got blurred a little bit. I mean, okay. a lot of things sort of were agreed to in the reason. And, um, the rezoning happened before I worked at the city. I was part of it. And I've, I've looked at the, you know, the council hearings. And I've talked to some people, but I was not part of that. Um, but in terms of uh, doing the Mead Street uh, alignment as the best right, that was in the city. It's also in the development. So, yeah, I think it's in both. It's right. in both. Yeah. So, got it. So there are going to be some things that stay consistent, but then it is being updated to reflect the now current project. That's helpful. I have another question for you. No. Do you want to stay on that thread? Or? One quickly. To that point, what you just differentiated between some things are in the development agreement, some things are in the rezoning. That's what I'm saying is the affordability is a part of the rezoning. Because there was a height incentive. Okay. I, I, I don't want to speak to. Okay. That was my understanding of it. Okay. Um, my my question: uh, How many uh, well, how many parking spots are on the current service lot? Two hundred forty. David, do you want to come up? Sure <laughs> <coughs> that that's clearly heard. Introduce yourself, please. Thank you, David Zucker of Zucker Development. There are currently two hundred fourteen service spaces. Okay. Great. And then my math says the the redevelopment will have 832 total spaces. Is that? Including those 499 roughly from the Market Bay Tower that are within the Market Bay Tower building itself. Got it. So the 499 serve the, just the Market Rate Tower. That's right. And then the 333 are that 214 plus some parking for the affordable. Um, and talk and talk to me a bit more about that. So if we have so 150, sorry, math is not my it's roughly 120 spaces for the affordable. Okay, so 120 spaces for 158 units, and then 499 for roughly 300. Two nights, four units. So one point. So I okay. I see yeah. this. One point. One point seven spaces in the, the market, market rate. About point seven ish in the. Okay. Um, that was my question. Further questions, or we can move discussion, closing hearing. What do you got, Mark? I don't know. I don't know where this fits. I don't know if this is a question for us, but I'm going to ask it now so I have access to all of these folks. Um, I guess in terms of, of what we're tasked with today, I'm a little bit confused exactly what to take into account and what not to take into account because the rezoning was done in 2019. There was the hype incentive given because it was meeting community needs. 
it's the development proposal. So we have this height incentive. Then we have a planning process that says we want eight stories here, which is considerably lower than the allowed height. So is this in conformance with the plan guidance, even though there was a rezoning that happened before that? Like, I just don't know how all the pieces fit together and how we're supposed to be weighing this. I can answer the, the Wayne, but I don't know if Kurt, you could speak to the, the height and what the West Area Plan talked about because the PUD was in place before that. Right, good question. So yeah, you're correct. So there was a planning process that was obviously ad adopted after PUD was approved. Um, that is pretty common in, in a lot of our plans where we have rezonings that happen either during the process or slightly before the process or even um, just honoring existing entitlements. And so as we review um, projects we, uh, that, that were approved or have zoning prior to a plan's guidance, we take that into account and as assume that those properties have their property rights and that those are actually, if they build within their current zoning, that that is consistent with our plans. If they were to ask for a change to the zoning, we would then review it against what the plan says. But if they're building within the, their current zoning and not asking to change, we respect that as an existing entitlement. Thank you. Yep. And on the criteria, again, we're looking at the urban renewal plan, not the project, although the urban renewal plan does speak about the project um, and its conformance with the comprehensive plan and West Area plan. Um, so. With that, are there other questions or we could move to discussion? I'll go ahead and close the public hearing and move to discussion um, from the board. Uh, Rachel. Uh, I just want to, you know, I think some of the consternation that Melissa's healing and I identify with is something that I think we experience frequently, which is this conflation between zoning criteria and community benefits agreements or development plans or things that that get agreed to that the average person believes they are um, that in creating that agreement that that will somehow live forever. And I think this is a great example of the zoning is going to the zoning is what the zoning is, and any sort of development plan or community benefits agreement or financing structure or unit count can always change. And I think. That is, I just want to comment that I think that is a flaw in our process because I do think that the average person that sits through and negotiates and says, I will come and testify for this rezoning believes that the things that are being agreed to at that time will remain in place. And that's not the framework of land use regulation that we have in the city. So just want to throw that out there that I think there's more than one person in our city that gets confusing and feels taken advantage of by the way that that often plays out. Um, uh, I think I saw Angel and then Melissa. Melissa just before you. Okay, um, thank you. And I think that's correct. And to be clear, I'm even in my position, I'm not, I think things are unclear about confused I understand that like what has brought us here is a difference in circumstances and how um, the economics of creating this are different than when this originally came through what I am frustrated about and trying to get us to at least uncover here rather than just like saying cool move on um, is 
what you're getting at, that there was negotiation and agreement and, you know, we didn't have an, we couldn't have an inclusionary zoning ordinance like we do now in 2019 when this came through. And so negotiation happened for a long time. There was a lot of advocacy to get this through. There was a lot of work to make these agreements about how much affordability would be in, in this project and what that would look like and convincing the neighborhood. You know, we went through this whole process um, circumstances change. I understand that is what happens. However, this like technicality of we can't build this project anymore. So we're beholden to some things, but not others. We figure out how to do it. And now we're just going to like reverse engineer a development agreement that fits what works now. Like maybe as people who talk about this a lot, you understand how you get to that point, but like that doesn't feel great. And that is very contrary to all of the conversations that we as a body are having and that the city is having about how to do community outreach and how we approach community outreach and how we take in um, community feedback and what that means and what the point of all of that is. Like we are spending hours as a body, council is spending hours as a body, CPD is spending hours. And what we're doing here is reverse engineering something because the economics have changed. Um, and maybe we followed all of the rules and maybe that is how this process works, but that doesn't change. That's the reality of what we're doing. And I think that I could not let this sail through when it technically conforms to the rules without naming that that is in fact what we're doing. So. Adele, then Mary, thank you for those comments, Melissa. Um, I, I, I'm a little perplexed. Um, there's another kind of paradoxical thing here for me uh, with the uh, PUD, which generally we're trying to shift from PUDs. Is that not correct? Um, when, whenever we can, is that not the case? And I recognize this was 2019, but that's fairly recent. My apologies, I was briefly distracted. Would you mind repeating that question? Yeah, I, I'm just wondering, this is a PUD, it's so, and it's a, a Dura, so our, our criteria are different. We're looking at the uses and all of that kind of stuff. But generally, when we talk about PUDs, we're dissecting that a little more and looking at how that can be updated. But we didn't bring that up in this case. Is that because it's a Dura project or... Just explain to me why we didn't. Thank you for, for asking that again. Yeah. So typically, uh, the Dura uh, or the urban renewal plan requests are separate from zoning uh, and, and don't impact the okay. zoning. It's uh, often there's, you know, often a Dura request is made, for example, on a property that already has, you know, just has the, the standard entitlement it had before and hasn't gone through a previous rezoning. It is, a, a, you know, kind of a just so happens that this particular project was also rezoned as a PUD or into that PUD at some point uh, right back in 2019, but the, the, the PUD is not directly regulated by or related to the, the, um, the Dura plan. Yeah, the, it, it's, uh, it just looks like a big unwieldy thing that it's gotten to a point where it's uh, doable and 
this is the best it's gonna be. <laughs> Maybe it kind of feels like that to us. Um, and we have one set of criteria to analyze it, the comp plan, not even Blueprint Denver, just the comprehensive plan 2040. And that's what we have. So. I am so excited to see this project coming back around and that there's a pathway to getting it done. I am not terribly upset that the majority of the affordable is in a separate building because there are lots of crappy mechanisms that we work within, not just regulatory, and finance is a huge piece of that. And it looks like 62% of the rental units are affordable and 47% of the for sale are affordable. So um, I know that's not really in our consideration, but as an affordable housing advocate, I think it's so rad that all of those people are gonna have access to the beautiful amenity that is Sloan's Lake and everything else in the neighborhood. So I am emphatically supporting this tonight. Thanks. Uh, I, I very much agree with, with Mary, uh, as I almost always do. Um, <laughs> But I, I do appreciate you pointing out, I, I think it, the issues with the zoning really, and I think that's a very separate, separate issue from what we're called to consider today. Um, our use of customized zoning in the city is very limited um, through, by policy. And we often attempt to put ourselves through some real contortions to pretend that we're not doing it and, do development agreements instead and kind of because, well, we can do that. It's not really customized zoning, but it's achieving what we want to achieve. And so it does suggest, and I think this follows on conversations we've had about equity and rezoning. It does suggest that we're doing some things wrong <laughs> from a process standpoint. Maybe we need to consider that. So I do want to, I do want to say that I appreciate that. I think it is an important piece of a larger conversation we're having to, to a certain extent. I'm not sure that it is germane to the decision we're called to make today. And I also just want to call that out and say, you know, I think we're called to make a very specific finding today. I very much agree with Mary. I very much agree with the staff findings and, and we'll be supporting. Thank you, Gosha, and then Heidi. Thank you. Um, so I remember that rezoning, actually. I, it was right before I was appointed to planning board, so I was actually at the city council testifying in support. Um, uh, it was exciting to see 50% of affordable units, and I totally understand why luxury condos don't work. Um, <laughs> there's no doubt in my mind why this doesn't pencil out, and maybe the math had to change. Um, I think the challenge that I see is that... Um, the definition of blight or how blight is defined on this property and how it's addressed because the blight is defined as a lack of connectivity but there is pedestrian and bike connectivity through that site maybe it's not perfect but there's there's a way for a pedestrian to travel that trajectory along the mean street uh, where the connectivity is missing is in a street grid and that is not being restored with that proposal so well, the connectivity is improved, like is it really addressing the problem that is at the very um, definition or, or the reason why this proposal is in front of us in the first place? So I'm not sure where to go with it. Thank 
Thank you. On the urban renewal development plan, I find that it meets the criteria of the comp plan and I will be in support of it. And I would just like to say that having been uh, a housing developer my entire career, I can look at a plan like that and understand immediately that that parking garage creates, that serves the medical as well as the LIHTC is an immediate barrier to financial viability for the site. And I think this is a, the exact reason why we have this tool and why we leverage this tool to get the outcomes that we want in our city. Um, and while it's not relevant to the decision at hand, I'd just like to say that I'm pleased to see that the uh, luxury apartments are gone. I think it's always a fallacy to think that we should approach a project and get housing built by taking one housing type and one resident and asking them to subsidize the next housing type for the next resident. I think that's how we've gotten ourselves into a fairly bad situation with not having missing middle housing as we make that one end more and more expensive and less and less attainable for that person who makes 81% AMI or 82% AMI. So I think that's a, a stellar change to the plan, although like I said, it does not play into my decision. Um, and just wanna thank the applicant and Tracy for the incredible job that she always does presenting this, and I look forward to voting in favor. I just wanted to address the street grid question because I think it's centered on need so far, and one can dispute whether a, a, a quality pedestrian, bike pedestrian connection through there counts, but, but also I just wanted to highlight, I, I think unless I misread the staff report, that it, the project does uh, seek to reconnect 16th Avenue across across there. So I just wanted to make sure that clarify that we clarify that there there is some street grid reconnection happening that, that currently is blocked through there. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Rachel, and then I've got a comment. And I, I just wanted to make a uh, clarifying question, maybe this is for the attorneys. Um, my understanding is that the determination of blight is not something that this body, we're, we're looking at whether this urban renewal plan conforms with the comprehensive plan, correct? That's our criteria. Whether or not it meets for the 11 blight considerations is a decision for other bodies, but not for this body, correct? Correct. Um, I'll just share my comment. Um, like Heidi, I believe that it does conform with the comprehensive plan with blueprint and then the West area plan, um, to call it a few quotes, I think the West area plan talks a lot about the mix of housing levels that we see here. Um, and then I really appreciated you sharing some of the kind of history a little bit more Goja around the accessibility um, and kind of that connectivity of need. Because when I looked at it, I, yeah, I, I really said, wow, you know, I think that it does enhance that accessibility bikeway connection and maybe it exists today, but it'll be a lot nicer when, when it's done and completed and to connect down to, to meet. And I, I appreciated the speaker kind of talking about that as an important connection point to the light at Colfax. So while maybe not um, all of the connectivity that would, would be liked by some in the community, I, I, I was struck by that as an improvement um, and, and certainly meeting aspects of of connectivity and accessibility that the West Area Plan in particular calls out. Um, so I will be in support. Uh, with that, I will call roll call vote. Melissa. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
Can I have a motion? <laughs> but you guys were also helpful. Sure. I was like in tandem. I move to recommend that City Council approve the proposed 17th and Newton Urban Redevelopment Plan. Finding the plan conforms with Denver's comprehensive plan. Thank you, Fred. Is there a second? Thanks, Mary. Uh, we'll call call Melissa. Aye. Rachel. Aye. Claude. Aye. Heidi. Aye. Jordan. Aye. Manjo. Aye. Barry. Aye. Gosha. Aye. Fred. Aye. And I vote aye as well. Thank you very much. That has been recommended on the council for conformance with the comprehensive plan. With that, we will move on to our next agenda item. I somehow set my agenda aside. Thank you, Senior. Thank you. Uh, number five is an official map amendment application 2023I00117, rezoning Ford 100 East Arkansas Avenue and 14517 SMX3 to SMX5A. And I will go ahead and open the public hearing. We'll start with a staff presentation, then a presentation or comments by the applicant if there are any, and then uh, comments from the public. Yeah. All right. Now let's talk about something. <laughs> All right. Uh, so yeah, my name is Tony Lechuga. I'm here to present the applicant-driven or the applicant-proposed rezoning uh, of these two properties, uh, 4100 East Arkansas Avenue and 1451 South Ash Street, from SMX3 to SMX5A. Um, so let's start with their actual request. So uh, this you can see is the two properties outlined in red. While they have two addresses and are two parcels, I want to note early on that they function essentially as one property. Um, it's 99,000, just over 99,000 square feet. There's a two-story office building uh, and it's pretty substantial surface parking. Um, and the applicant is requesting a rezoning to align with our plan guidance since their existing zoning uh, predates both uh, blueprint and the small area plan for this site. Um, you'll notice it's, it's on a block that fronts on Colorado Boulevard to the west, uh, and just north of it, it's worth noting that that is the former uh, CDOT site. All right, so all of that means that it's located in Council District 6, represented by Councilman Cashman. It's in the Virginia Village neighborhood, and you'll note on this map, it is just about one mile north of the Colorado and I-25 station. All right, and here's the existing zoning. So the current two properties are share the same zoning of SMX3. Uh, you'll note immediately to the west fronting Colorado Boulevard is um, a large portion of SMX5. And then to the north where that former CDOT site is along Louisiana, we have SMX8 that kind of drops down to SMX5. And then you notice immediately across Ash Street is this SMU3, uh, which is the same zoning as to the south. So pretty substantial zoning surrounding the site um, in terms of, uh, of height and potential density uh, that then tapers off into the SSUD to the east. And in terms of land use, that's sort of reflective of the zoning. So this uh, particular site, again, has two different uses because it's two different parcels, although they function as one. Um, so there's the office and parking use there, and you'll notice all along Colorado Boulevard, that sort of commercial retail and other office uses. And while the CDOT site to the north is currently listed as vacant in our land use database, uh, construction has started on that site. Um, you see lots of multi-unit dwellings uh, that taper off into single-unit dwellings. Uh, 
Um, so these are just to give you uh, some visuals of the site. Um, so on the top is the actual building itself. So it's two stories, maybe a little taller than an average two story given its use. Um, and then that substantial surface parking that we associate with sort of um, older suburban office parks. Uh, but then immediately across Ash Street, you have kind of this cool development um, all along the, the street, this multi-unit development, um, these sort of like staggered uh, multi-unit housing with, with parking in the rear along the alley. All right, let's talk about process. So um, neighbors within 200 feet, applicable RNOs, uh, were and city council were notified about this back in August. Um, Planning board notices went out uh, at the beginning of February, and that brings us to today. You'll notice that's a longer gap than we normally see between noticing a project and it coming to planning board. Um, and we'll talk very specifically about why that is when we get to the small area plan guidance. All right. Um, in terms of public comments, uh, the applicant did uh, receive a letter of support from the East Evans Business Association, um, which noted that the potential for um, higher density and better um, street design associated with the 5A district um, would be a welcome addition to the community. Um, and we've received one general public letter of opposition um, that was uh, largely concerned with additional parking, uh, specifically along Ash Street. All right, so let's dive into the review criteria. Um, so for anybody watching at home that doesn't know, um, we're mandated to review five criteria to determine if a rezoning is appropriate. Um, and we'll go through all five of those now starting with consistency with adopted plans. Um, for this particular property, we have the two citywide plans, and then we have the near Southeast area plan, which was passed recently in 2023. So diving into Blueprint Denver, Blueprint Ident Denver identifies this neighborhood context as suburban. Um, that's largely due to the fact that this area has kind of an irregular street grid, an irregular presence of alleys, um, and some larger blocks than we would normally see. Um, but suburban neighborhood context within the city of Denver can include higher intensity residential, um, and they can see commercial focused along main corridors, uh, especially bordering those, those smaller residential areas. So this proposal does meet that plan guidance. Now, Blueprint Denver also identifies two different place types for this property. Um, for the Arkansas property, it identifies it as community corridor, which mix of different uses, uh, large linear orientation to the street, and heights up to five stories. For that smaller property to the south along Ash, it identifies it as low medium residential, which is typically low to mid-scale unit residential, but it could include some limited mixed use. And I want to pause right here to note that we sometimes end up with these unusual circumstances in our plans because they are taken as such a large view. And so we typically associate these types of place types with individual parcels, assuming that they have individual ownership, that they are individually developable. But in this case, uh, it's maybe a missed opportunity in the plan to not have looked closer at this site to see that it actually functions as one site. And so creating two different place types is maybe a, a small issue, but it's one in which Blueprint does say that we should be given discretion uh, to look at flexibility around the edges of place types. And so I would sort of encourage us, us to think about that, that while this does provide two different place types, I think they both do conform, or they both do uh, meet plan guidance. They are consistent with plan guidance. There's the word. 
Uh, and the same is true for growth area strategies. So it identifies two different growth area strategies, assuming two different properties. Um, but both of them assume that we see an increase in, new, in uh, new housing and new jobs in those areas. Uh, so let's turn to the near Southeast area plan now. Um, I'll note that the plan guidance in terms of neighborhood context is identical to blueprint. So it calls for it to be suburban and describes it in the same, con in the same way. The place types are identical to Blueprint Denver. So again, that community corridor and the low medium residential for both place types. And then here's the one map where we see um, outlined in black on the map is everything that is considered sort of a, a refinement from Blueprint. And it identifies that this entire block should actually be five stories. So even those two spaces that I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of go back and forth between slides here. So, so even those two parcels that are identified as low medium on this map, it refines those to say, while low medium is typically three stories, in this case, we think it should be five. And that's because the apartment building that's at the southeast corner of that block is actually a four-story building with a small fifth-story roof deck. And so five stories would actually be appropriate for what's built there. And so this tiny little piece on ash is also included in that to say the whole block should be allowed to be one, one sort of five-story height potentially. All right, and now we're gonna turn to two land use recommendations. And there's a lot of text on the screen. I do not expect you to read it all, but I put it there just in case you want to, to be thorough. So this particular recommendation explains why there's such a big gap between when they submitted the application and when we got to today. And it's because the, this new plan says that in community corridors where additional height is recommended, we should have an adequate mobility, there should be adequate mobility infrastructure to support that. And so proposed applicant rezonings should go through a coordinate, an established coordinated review process in order for us to analyze whether or not there needs to be some sort of ask from the city in terms of added mobility. For this particular property, what we did was actually use our review referral period to say that we're gonna sit down and have multiple meetings with the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure to discuss whether or not they have an ask immediately. And you'll notice on page 10 of your staff report that there are very lengthy comments from Dottie, which we usually don't see. And in those comments, they note that the proposed rezoning will not cause an overload of the current infrastructure support system. However, a study of infrastructure support should be done prior to future rezonings, similar to how this one was done. And they go on to note that um, they, while this area does have significant congestion, they are working on mitigating that through unique strategies such as Colorado BRT and that um, supportive uh, transit supportive density is essential to making that BRT successful. So we do believe that this proposed rezoning um, is consistent with this plan guidance because the applicant did go through this very lengthy coordinated review process in order to have the city say, at this point, we are not gonna ask anything, but at the time of site development, we might have some additional asks in terms of what you would build for mobility infrastructure. All right, there's one other land use recommendation that's really important, and that is where it says that we should be transforming these types of corridors into welcoming pedestrian-oriented places. And two specific strategies jump out. One that says locate new buildings closer to the street to create a sense of enclosure and human scale. And the other says to prohibit auto-oriented building forms such as drive-throughs, car washes, and gas stations. 
And the applicant, we believe, has achieved this land use recommendation through the application of the 5A zone district, which eliminates drive-throughs as building forms. And it also uh, has a stronger build-to requirement and stronger transparency requirements than, than their existing zoning. So we believe that given all that, it is consistent with adopted plans. We believe that it will result in the uniformity of district regulations. Um, we believe that it furthers public health, safety, and welfare through the application of our adopted plans, but also by allowing for compatible infill development that aligns with our growth expectations for the area. We've seen a number of justifying circumstances. Uh, first, we'll start with changing conditions. So the rezoning of that CDOT site to the north has essentially changed the character of that corner of Louisiana and Colorado Boulevard. Um, but the city has also made significant investments in the Colorado Boulevard corridor and will continue to make those through the application of BRT on the corridor. And then also it meets the justifying circumstance of our plan guidance, which was adopted after the establishment of this particular zoning. And then it will necessarily result in consistency with the context, zone purpose, uh, and intent statements. And therefore, we recommend that the board uh, recommend approval to this. And um, the property owner is here and would like to make a few statements, if that's okay. okay. Thank you. Um, go ahead and come on up, uh, Ben Ruda, statement uh, address. Thank you, everybody at Planning Board uh, for um, considering our application. Um, just wanted to give a quick overview of, of why we're doing this and, and a little background and, and nothing more than that. Uh, my name is Ben Hirota. Do I need to say my address? Okay. Um, I'm, our company is Flywheel Capital. Uh, we're owner uh, of commercial off, um, properties throughout uh, the metro area, up and down the Front Range of Colorado. Um, we bought this site in August of 2022, it was about a year and a half ago. We have no plans to redevelop this site at any time uh, today or even in the next handful of years. We're doing this uh, strictly uh, to conform with what is occurring within the immediate neighborhood. I'm a fourth generation native. I grew up in South Denver. I, my kids still go to DPS near uh, this location. I spend a lot of my time up and down Colorado Boulevard. In fact, for those of you that are from Denver, I grew up going to um, Celebrity Sports Center just up the street as well. So this is kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, it's a changing neighborhood, especially with the CDOT facility um, and what is happening immediately across the street from our property. So we have no plans to do anything with this currently. And that is why we worked with CPD um, in terms of the request with Doty and any potential future infrastructure needs. And so uh, we reached out to Councilman Cashman, um, you know, well in advance of doing all of this, as mentioned, he said in his uh, business association as well. Um, and so we've tried to um, um, manage this process um, with the city's requests to eliminate the drive-through and go with the 5A zoning designation as well. So I just wanted to give everybody a little bit of background with that. Um, happy to answer any other questions that you might have. Thank you. Thank you. Um, with that, I'll open it up to public comment. I do not see anyone signed up online. Is there anyone here in the room to speak to it? We don't have anybody. All right. With that, I will open up to questions from the board. Jordan. Oh, just a, a question that, that's 
kind of doesn't necessarily sway things one way or the other in this, but I'm curious about uh, what you said, Tony, about uh, but Dottie's recommendation that uh, infrastructure or support will need to be studied prior to future rezonings. Is that something that's actually triggered by this in some way? How does that actually happen? Yeah, so that, that particular land use recommendation that I noted that was very lengthy in there that says we should be looking at whether there's adequate mobility infrastructure before implementing rezonings. We have interpreted that as staff that every single rezoning in this area that does seek to like increase entitlement should, that's not a small site. It does give a small site out, <laughs> um, should actually go through this coordinated review process. And so for large enough sites that would be going through LDR where we actually would look at what's the development and would we want a new road through here? Would we need new sidewalks? Um, for sites like this, it's about two acres. It was like large enough that we felt like it needed to have that coordinated review, not so large that it needed to go through LDR. But um, yeah, I think essentially any similar rezoning would go through this coordinated review process. This was the first one. So I think it took longer than any of us anticipated to have those meetings, to have those conversations. It could move faster in the future, but I won't guarantee that. Uh, thank you. Questions. Okay. Um, I will go ahead and close the public hearing and open it up to the board for discussion. Okay. So I did read one public comment that was um, strongly in opposition. And reading it, it's it's pretty apparent that the apartment buildings across the streets um, probably don't provide enough off-street parking for the apartments. And so it, it made me think of my own situation with on-street parking or the neighborhood I live in. Um, in Central Park, everybody, young families, well, our kids are growing up and now they're driving and, you know, two, two car garage, but now we actually have people parking on the street, which is great. Cars parked on the street, slows down traffic, it's friction, it's a way to keep the cars going slow. And it's fascinating because I'll watch my 17 year old son get annoyed when somebody parks in front of our house and his spot. And it's such a fun teaching moment for a mother who's on planning board to say, child, you don't own that parking space. That is a collective ownership of your neighbors and the citizens of Denver. You have no more or no less right to park there than anybody else. And so it makes me, you know, want to respond in the same way to this and, and ask a question, I guess, of staff. When looking at Google Earth and looking at those apartments across the way and seeing how much um, land, there are, even though they're dense apartments, they're actually very low density in their site plan. If those owners of those buildings were ever to come back, would they? Um, is there any opportunity for them to come back with an application to perhaps build more off-street parking for their apartments? Is that a, is there a process available for our citizens to be able to to build more off-street parking? Themselves. Trying to speak to that quickly. I know we're in discussion, but maybe Andrew or, or Tony could. Sure. I mean, if I, I don't, I can't imagine a, a scenario where someone would want to add more parking to an existing approved, you know, project or, you know, or development that's been there for a long time, but uh, there is not anything precluding somebody. From doing we do that. have a process by which our citizens can they could amend their site plan or in the, I mean, those are fairly, that's an older development. So it's, you know, it's not clear whether we have a, may still have a site plan on file for that. Uh, 
or if it was, uh, if it's amendable, but certainly somebody could produce a new kind of as-built site plan demonstrating additional parking and, and conceivably and bring it through the us. issue that they're clearly expressing they have with their apartment building. So fantastic. Thank you for that answer. And with that, I find this to be, uh, to meet the criteria and I will be voting in favor. Thanks, Heidi. Fred. I, you know, I do think the parking thing is, is an interesting question in, in, in the sense that we often hear people saying, oh, if you allow density there, the parking will be a nightmare. And that's a bit at odds, I think, with what we often find in reality, which is that developers tend to put more parking than we might push for. <laughs> and so while parking, parking minimums are, uh, are going down, it doesn't seem to have a direct uh, response in what developers are actually building <laughs> so i i would i would suggest that it seems to me that with a five-story zoning there's probably an even better chance that they'll build more parking there uh given the given the economics of it than if it were to stay the way it is so i i do find it's, it, it uh, meets the criteria we'll be supporting it thank you I will just add uh, in looking at the criteria, I think um, I appreciated Tony and your presentation calling out some of those components around the near Southeast area plan in particular. I think the refinement of the map was very helpful for me to, and I think it is such an example of the purpose of our NPI process to really provide that refinement that uh, blueprint maybe didn't have. Um, and then uh, obviously the land use recommendations around prohibiting auto-oriented and the um, the willingness of the applicant to go to the 5A to, to really kind of see that plan. So uh, with that, I'm supporting. Um, are there any other comments where I can do a roll call? Great. Uh, I'll take a motion first, though. <laughs> I move to recommend that City Council approve the application 2023-I-00117 rezoning. 4100 East Arkansas Avenue and 1451 South Ash Street from SMX3 to SMX5A, finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. Second. I have a motion and a second, and I will call Melissa. Aye. Rachel. Aye. Claude. Aye. Heidi. Aye. Jordan. Aye. Angel. Aye. Mary. Aye. Goja. Aye. Fred. Aye. And I vote aye as well. Um, item number five is recommended on city council. Thank you for being here. Um, with that, I will go ahead and open the public hearing for item number six. This is official map amendment application 2023I00200, rezoning 1901 North Oneida Street from ESUDX to ESUD1X. Um, and uh, on this one, we did choose as a body to waive the staff presentation, um, but quickly, I uh, we'll open the public hearing for any public comment. Um, I am not seeing anyone registered um, online. Is there anyone here in the room on item number six? Not. Um, I will go ahead and um, stop public comment and open it up to the board for any questions. All right, with that, I'll go ahead and close the public hearing. Is there any discussion on this item? And if not, I'll take a motion. I move to recommend that City Council approve Application 2023I00200 rezoning 1901 North Oneida from uh, Street from ESUDX to ESUD1X, finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. 
second. Thank you. There's a motion and a second. Roll call. Melissa? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Claude? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Jordan? Aye. Angel? Aye. Mary? Aye. Gosha? Aye. Fred? Aye. My vote aye as well. Looks like Jordan is heading out. <laughs> so uh, just for the record, I assume that means you're packing up. So um, yes. we'll just have the minutes reflect that uh, from item seven going forward. Um, so with that, I will open the public hearing for item seven, our agenda, official map amendment, application 2022I-00253, rezoning 1409 to 1471 North Julian, and 3317 West 14th Avenue from GRH3 to GMU5. See you, Jordan. Um, and on this, we have staff Hi. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Matthew Bossler, and I'm a senior city planner from CPD. Uh, today, I'm presenting a rezoning request for 1409 through 1471 North Julian Street and 3317 West 14th Avenue. Uh, this is an applicant-driven application to request a zone district that allows for a maximum of five stories with a variety of building forms. So we'll start here with a little bit more detail on the request. The subject property is 59,021 square feet. Um, the larger of the two contiguous areas is located on the west side of North Julian Street between West 14th Ave and West Colfax Ave. Uh, the smaller of the two areas is located on the north side of West 14th Ave between North Julian and North Irving. The specific request of the applicant is to rezone from GRH3 to the GMU5 zone district. Uh, this zone district is in the general urban neighborhood context. It allows for five building forms, including urban house, duplex, townhouse, garden court, and apartment, as well as the detached accessory dwelling unit building form. Uh, Multi-unit residential structures are typically in the apartment building form uh, in this district. Uh, so that is also the most intensive of those five, five forms. The maximum height of the apartment building form is 65 feet across the zone lot with a minimum lot size of 6,000 square feet and protected district standards that would apply across the subject properties. The applicant's intention is to build rental apartments, which would be required by city policies to include some affordable units. So now moving on to the location and context. Uh, zooming out, the property is located in Council District 3 in the West Colfax neighborhood. The existing zoning is GRH3, which allows for residential uses under the urban house, duplex, and row house building forms. The subject property is mostly surrounded by other GRH3 districts, as you can see in orange, um, except for the north side of 1409 through 1470 Julian, which is bordered on the north by UMS5. Property is multi-unit and two-unit. Uh, the predominant land uses surrounding it, or them, I should say, uh, are single-unit, two-unit, and multi-unit residential, uh, with some industrial parks, public, quasi-public, mixed-use, and vacant land. As you look at the surrounding blocks, property is located here in red. Uh, the top street view photo is how the larger property appears today as row house style apartments. Uh, the bottom photo shows how the smaller property appears today as a duplex. The existing build, build context surrounding the larger property is composed of traditional cottages and duplexes, as well as more recent 
multi-unit three-story structures, as you can see in the lower left. The existing built context of the smaller property includes single-story, traditional single-unit and multi-unit bungalows, uh, and both single-story and three-story multi-unit structures from varied eras of development. So now let's pause and take a look at the rezoning process that led to today's hearing. Uh, before moving on, uh, prior to submitting the application, the applicant conducted outreach with impacted RNOs, other community groups, and direct neighbors. Uh, these included explanations to current residents of the property of the intended rezoning uh, and how redevelopment, if it occurred, would be associated with another project being developed for affordable housing on North Knox Court, one block to the west. Following the application submittal, the rezoning process kicked off with informational notice sent on October 17th of last year. Planning board notice for the original hearing date was given on January 2nd, and again on the 6th of February for today's rescheduled public hearing in front of the assembled planning board. Since the application posted, CBD has received four letters in opposition and four letters in support of the rezoning. The staff report includes two letters in support from neighbors at the same address on the 1400 block of North Julian Street. These neighbors anticipate raised property values, emphasize alignment with the West Area Plan, and support improvement of living conditions for the current tenants of the subject properties. <laughs> the staff report also describes a letter of support from the founder and executive director of Confluence Ministries, which is a faith-based nonprofit and community center in the West Colfax neighborhood. This letter emphasizes Wazi Partners' sponsorship of neighborhood events and demonstrated community engagement for this project. It further expresses confidence in Wazi Partners' plan to provide housing to the current residents of the subject properties in a related project. A fourth letter of support was also received since the staff report from Sloan's Lake Citizens Group, which is an RNO whose boundaries extend across the subject properties. In a straw vote, a majority of the RNO members support the project. Furthermore, this letter emphasizes the need for more housing in surrounding neighborhoods and states a preference for the current affordable units on the subject properties to be replaced at the 1409 through 1471 Julian Street property. Three of the letters of opposition are from uh, neighbors on the 1400 block of North Knox Court. Generally, these neighbors are concerned with building scale, parking, traffic, uh, trash collection, environmental impacts, <laughs> concentration of affordable housing and declining property values if the property is rezoned to GMU5. They also mentioned support for the existing zoning and in one case, three-story apartments. Another uh, letter of opposition is from a neighbor on the 1300 block of Knox Court who questions the need for more housing in the city and more rental, rental housing in the neighborhood uh, given current socioeconomic conditions. So now let's move to review criteria. Uh, we reviewed the application to rezone to GMU5 against all five review criteria here, starting with consistency of adopted plans. Uh, the three applicable plans are Comp Plan 2040, Blueprint Denver, and the West Area Plan. The application meets several of Comp Plan's equity and climate goals by creating housing near transit, creating a greater mix of housing, and creating infill development where infrastructure and services are already in place. As far as Blueprint is concerned, the property's future neighborhood context is general urban. 
And this context is described as including multi-unit housing that is well served by transit with abundant amenities and entertainment options nearby. Its future place is high medium residential, uh, which is to accommodate, quote, a mix of low to medium scale multi-unit residential uses and buildings generally up to eight stories in height. The future street type for North Julian Street is local or undesignated, which is characterized by adjacent residential uses and it is for West 14th Avenue uh, qualified as residential collector, which is characterized by both residential uses and other uses. Uh, its growth area strategy is all other areas of the city, which allows for 20% housing growth by 2040. Similarly to Blueprint, the West Area Plan describes the property's future neighborhood context as general urban and future places as high medium residential. The West Area Plan also describes the future base height of the property as up to five stories and the incentive height as up to seven stories. Furthermore, the West Area Plan includes several economy and housing policies that pertain to this rezoning. They cover incorporation of affordable housing within neighborhoods, expansion of a diversity of housing types for a variety of types of households, and strengthening the economic viability of corridors for community serving retail and small businesses. So moving on to the next two criteria, the rezoning would result in uniform application of district regulations in respect to these aforementioned plans, as well as other pertinent rules and regs. And it would further public health, safety, and welfare by implementing adopted plans and adding housing that is compatibly integrated in the neighborhood in a transit-rich and mixed-use area. The justifying circumstance for this rezoning is the adoption of Blueprint Denver in 2019 and the West Area Plan in 2023, all since the property was last zoned. Together, these plans specifically recommend high-medium residential housing through zoning, allowing base heights up to five stories. Lastly, we look to consistency with neighborhood context, zone district purpose, and intent. Uh, overall, the proposed rezoning to allow for a greater variety of building forms and up to five stories in height is consistent with the general urban neighborhood context that exists in the surrounding area, as well as with GMU5 zone district purpose and intent. Uh, the quotes on the screen, which I'm not gonna read, um, are pulled from these sections of the code and support this in various ways. Summarily, the general purpose of residential districts within this context is to, quote, promote and protect higher density residential neighborhoods within the character of the general urban neighborhood context, end quote. The standards and the uses of the proposed district would work together to do so. So with all this in mind, CPD recommends approval based on meeting all the criteria for rezoning. And the Packner Company who are members of the applicant team has prepared a presentation to explain more about the proposed rezoning. So I'll turn it over to them. Great, thank you. Here's her who's here for applicant. Hi. Should, should be the Microsoft Edge one. Sorry. Oh, share. <coughs> Share 
Um, good afternoon, planning board. My name is Amy O'Brien from the Pocker Company. Um, I'm going to run through this quickly because our city staff has done a great job um, presenting how we meet all of the um, criteria for rezoning. Um, quickly, just our team here. The applicant is Wazee Partners, um, and we also have the real estate garage. Um, Steve Ferris doing all of our um, permitting and expediting and submittals. And um, again, Amy O'Brien and Marcus Pockner from the Pockner Company. Um, quickly here, um, the Wazi partners um, have been engaged owners in the neighborhood and big players in affordable housing throughout Denver Metro for many, many years, 20 years. Um, they are experienced in all kinds of development, including retail, apartment homes, redevelopment, low-income housing and tax credit communities, um, and they hold and manage six HUD Section 8 properties. I'm not going to read all of these details. You guys have had this. So um, they have a long-standing neighborhood engagement here in West Colfax. Um, you can see that they've owned properties throughout Sloan's Lake, West Colfax, and Villa Park for over 15 years. Um, you've already seen this map here again. Um, city staff did a great job presenting our properties and our project sites for the rezonings. Um, I just really wanted to speak a little bit to the community engagement. Um, Wazi Partners um, engaged the Pockner Company to help them do a robust, truly um, grassroots community engagement effort throughout the neighborhood. We did extensive meetings with um, different community leaders, of course, the RNOs, um, the neighbors on Julian and Knox, and also the tenants who will be implicated by the rezoning. Here's a little bit more detail about our community engagement um, and where we had our meetings within the neighborhood and who we met with and when. Um, and then additionally, as far as the neighbors and tenants are concerned, we will continue to engage them throughout the site plan process as we um, move forward with our um, development of the project sites. And again, um, city staff did a great job um, talking about the um, plan guidance around our project site. So I'm just gonna breeze through it. Um, you saw these same maps in Matthew's presentation um, and that we are requesting GMU5. And that's really it. That's all we have for today. But if you have any questions, the applicant is also here. Great, thank you so very much. Um, I show that we have three people signed up to speak. Um, the first of those is Jasper View online. Um, and next is Christina Marriott online as well. If you can get ready, go ahead and unmute Jasper and you have three minutes. You gave your name and address. Hi there, everybody. Can you hear me? We can. Okay, great. Uh, my name is Jasper. Uh, address is 1480 Humboldt Street. Um, I'm a close friend of Thomas Brunn, uh, the co-president of Sloan's Lake Citizens Group, and I just wanted to read his letter into the record uh, for you all. Um, so I'll do that quickly here. Um, so here we go. The Sloan's Lake Citizen Group, or SLCG, is a registered neighborhood organization for the area bounded by West 29th Avenue on the north and West uh, 10th Avenue on the south. Running from Federal Boulevard to Sheridan Boulevard, our Sorry, our organization has valued and listened to the diverse perspectives of our members for over 40 years with few expectations. Um, it is the policy of SLCG to provide information and to be a forum to inform rather than to speak for our diverse community. 
This prevents the SLCG from taking a stand on issues where there might not be information or where the members might disagree. So instead, the desire of the organization is to promote collaboration for compromise solutions that balance the interests of property owners, business owners, and residents while protecting the public health and safety. All right, the existing rental housing units, uh, 1409 to 1471 Julian Street, are within the boundaries of our RNO. At the June 14, 2023 meeting, Amy O'Brien with the partner company presented a proposal for the rezone, uh, rezoning and develop, redevelopment of the existing 19 affordable rental housing units. The current zoning GRH3 will not allow the owner developer to increase the housing density of the property. The Sloan's Lake and West Colfax neighborhoods are in desperate need of additional housing units and specifically affordable rental housing units. It is our understanding that after redevelopment, all the existing residents will be relocated as required by HUD. SLCG would prefer that all the new replaced uh, affordable housing units be located on the Julian Street property. If there are more than 190 new rental units in the proposed project, 10% of those total units should be affordable rental units. Too many times um, <clears throat> required affordable units are not located on the project property, making the bulk of the units not affordable for the residents living and working in the neighborhood. So at the end of it, a straw vote was taken uh, of members and both in person and on Zoom. And a majority of the votes were in favor of the rezoning from GRH3 to GMU5. Um, there was one negative vote and several abstained from voting. But Sloan's Lake Citizen Group looks forward to continuing the dialogue with the developer and their architects as the program vision unfolds and more details available. Great. Thank you very much, Jasper. Um, I have Christina Marriott next, and then Corey Scott is here in person. Uh, thank you. Uh, after. Go ahead, Christina. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, go ahead. Great. Um, hello, my name is Christina Marriott, and I live at 1428 Julian Street, Denver, Colorado. Um, as a longtime adjacent neighbor, I know this zoning change will improve our neighborhood while improving the current tenants move to a new development. The new West Area Plan supports this height and density on this block, and it fits within the context of the other properties surrounding it, which will help to raise our home values. I am confident that this uh, that with the zoning change to allow up to five stars, it allows for opportunity for new development that will undoubtedly raise my property value. As an adjacent neighbor, I look forward to new development to bring housing to allow for a more market rate opportunity nearby that will support the value of my own home. And looking around the neighborhood, I'm looking forward to adding these properties to the list of potential new developments that will help to raise my property value. The new development will make way for the current residents to move into newer, more accommodating housing. The current housing at this location is starting to look run down and the current tenants will be able to move into other nearby properties that are more suited to accommodate families with modern conveniences. As a supporter of the West Area Plan and its attempt to make our neighborhood more uniform in heights of buildings, this rezoning makes perfect sense. As an adjacent neighbor, it's nice to see the opportunity for new development around us as we continue to improve our own properties. I ask that you recommend to support the uh, zoning change for 1409-1471 North Julian Street to bring it to compliance with the new West Area Plan and the overall aesthetics of our own neighborhood. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, next we have um, here in person, Corey Scott, if you don't mind coming up to the microphone. I think that's the last person we have signed up. Is there anybody else here in person to speak to this one? Thank you. Uh, hello, I'll, I'll be pretty brief. I, I live across the street from uh, this, uh, this proposal and um, I'm, I'm neutral on the proposal I would like to uh, raise some concerns that I think will be um, examined further uh, in, uh, in site development. Um, this area in the past five years has uh, experienced a, uh, quite a change in on-street parking. Uh, if you were to drive through the area between midnight and, and 5 a.m., you would observe that it's at least 85% uh, utilized and it's, it's, it's close to saturation. I think that's um, that's something that needs to be addressed uh, at least at some point. I'm not sure zoning is the right uh, point. Uh, I, I think the incentive height is going to be uh, problematic um, in conjunction with the parking and providing the number of units that uh, that, that are sought. Um, also, it's a it's a very stark change. Incentive height being seven and all of the surrounding uh, area being one to two, uh, maybe three. I, I think that's uh, that, that sort of uh, disturbs the harmony a little bit. Um, and I don't understand the zoning purpose of the smaller parcel. I don't see any beneficial purpose there. I don't think it can be redeveloped. Um, but again, I would take a neutral position on this. Thank you. All right, I think that is everybody here on that. Um, so we'll now open it up to questions from the board. Fred. Hi, just a, a quick one. And Matthew, Matthew, I think this was covered in the uh, in the report, but maybe you could go into a little bit of detail on uh, how the incentive, EHA incentive heights do apply to this one. Matthew, do you mind coming back up? Thank you. So uh, the base height of five stories uh, within the GMU5 district, uh, specifically for the apartment building form, uh, would allow up to 65 feet. And uh, with the... Uh, Achievement essentially of the uh, of the requirements for the incentive height, it would be allowed to go up to seven and uh, seven stories and ninety feet. Uh, there also is a requirement for a certain percentage of affordable housing in the project, um, but beyond that, I am not uh, prepared to go into further details. I think that would be something from others, CBD, um, perhaps uh, Andrew. Have any other thoughts to fill in the gaps on that? Yeah, my apologies yet again. I it was answering a question from somebody else. Can you repeat? Okay. The question? I, I I just thought there was something in the staff report about proximity to protected districts and limiting the EHA incentive height. Ah. So the protected district standards are enforced for the uh, side 
uh, setback as well as the uh, upper story setback along the side interior lot line as well as along the rear lot line. So that would limit the height of those portions of the property. Because um, the GRH3, which surrounds it, is a protected district. Correct. Right? I would also note that the, the within that 175 foot buffer of a protected district, there is also a 75 foot height limit across the board. That uh, so effectively, uh, we typically see that as uh, five stories. Uh, and so this it does sound like, uh, based on my recollection of the zoning map, that the protected district standards would limit development on the site to 75 feet. Thank you. Thank you for asking the same. I have the same question, Brad, and I know that you were asking about the seven stories, so glad to confirm that it would stay at the five. Um, Georgia. Yeah, just out of curiosity, I want to echo the question of the gentleman who talked to us about the smaller property. Um, having a five-story zoning on such a small lot unlikely to be developed a five-story. Maybe it's a question for applicants. Why, uh, why is there pursuing rezoning of this Small property that's remote from the um, let's call it main main zone lot, and what's the intent for that property? Hello, Tyler Downs with Capital Partners, and uh, our intent with uh, the small lot rezoning was to bring it bring it into plan conformance as well um, with the blueprint and West Area Plan. Uh, I'll say five stories, and uh, we were rezoning uh, this adjoining neighborhood parcel and figured to bring them both in at the same time. And I agree, <clears throat> we don't see any um, specific redevelopment plan that would ever go to five stories at that location, but to be consistent with the uh, West Area plan, uh, we put it in as part of the application as well. So it's just kind of get one, get one free, <laughs> lumping them together as well. Yeah, or to be consistent. <laughs> Other questions? Uh, all right, with that, we'll go ahead and close the public hearing and open it up for discussion. Fred. I, I want to speak to what Kosha just asked about, because I think it's a really good example of why we should do zonings that comply with plan guidance. Technologies change, codes change over time. I know that that lot is 8,200 square feet, and I think it if I'm not mistaken, it's a looks like it might be it's a corner, if I'm not mistaken. Um, there are other jurisdictions in the US which um, allow building forms that might enable the development of this to five stories. And I, I know because I'm advocating for some of those locally that those are under consideration here in Denver as part of a future code amendment, which which would enable the development of a site like that. So I think it, it highlights the benefits of using conforming zone districts, the benefits of conforming with that plan guidance because things do change, things do develop. So anyway, I just wanted to, to throw that out there. Thanks. Any other comments or discussion? If not, I'll take a motion. I move to recommend that City Council approve application number 
2022I-00253, rezoning 1409 to 1471 North Julian and 3317 West 14th Avenue from GRH3 to GME5, finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. Second. Thank you. I have a motion and a second. I will roll call vote. Melissa? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Claude? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Angel? Aye. Mary? Aye. Goja? Aye. Fred? Aye. I vote aye as well. Congratulations. Recommended on City Council. Um, with that, we will move on to our next agenda item, and this is item number eight. This is official map amendment application 2023I-00214, rezoning 735 North Race Street from USUC to USUC1. Um, earlier, the board took action to go ahead and waive the staff presentation on this one, but I will um, open the public hearing for any um, comments from the applicant uh, or the public. Um, I don't think I see any, and we didn't have anybody signed up. Um, so with that, um, I will move on to questions. Are there any questions? Is there any discussion? Not, I will take a moment. Move to recommend that City Council approve application 2023-I-00214, rezoning 735 North Ray Street from USUC to USUC1 finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. Second. Good, I have a motion and a second. I will roll call vote. Melissa? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Claude? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Angel? Aye. Mary? Aye. Kosha? Aye. Fred? Aye. I will aye as well. Moving on to item number nine, official map amendment application 2023-I-00219, rezoning 3096 South Roslyn Street from SSUD to SSUD1. Um, again, on this one, we as a body uh, waive the staff presentation, um, but we'll open the public hearing for any comments from the public or an applicant. We did not have anyone register online. I see no one in the room. So with that, I will open to uh, questions from the board. All right, we'll close the public hearing. Is there any discussion from the board? Thought I will take a motion. I move to recommend that City Council approve application 2023-I-00219, rezoning 3096-SUD-SUD-1, finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. We'll second. A motion and a second. Roll call vote. Melissa? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Claude? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Angel? Aye. Mary? Aye. Gosha? Aye. Fred? Aye. I vote aye as well. That's the record of the council. Uh, and the last item on our agenda is item number 10, official map amendment application 2023-I-00113, rezoning 6750 East Exposition Avenue from SSUF to SSUF1A. Again, as a body, we um, chose to waive the staff presentation on this item, but I do want to open the public hearing for any comments from the applicant or uh, any member of the public. And I do believe we have one member of the public signed up to testify, Stephen Weisberg online. Uh, Stephen, go ahead and give your name and address and unmute yourself. Hello, my name is uh, Stephen Weisberg and uh, I live at 6761 East Exposition Avenue which is uh, very close to the property, I, which I drive past 6750 every day. Great, thank okay. you. Okay. 
ahead. Did, did, did you guys hear that or did I just yep, talk yep, to a we, bunch of air? Yes, yes, we did. We heard you. Go ahead and keep going. All right. Look, I, I'm a Denver native. I have lived in Denver all my life. I have owned property and paid property taxes since 1995 continuously on one property or the other. The neighborhood here is called Winston Downs, long time, very diverse neighborhood that is next to George Washington High School. And we also host the um, Denver Green School, which is a uh, you know elementary school through middle school in the middle of the neighborhood. This is already a diverse neighborhood for the, quite frankly, the, the racial people who are here, but also from the standpoint of, you know, we've got some diversification for businesses that are right at the entrance of the neighborhood. This neighborhood has already done its part for diversity and parking that's very lenient, despite the signs that say one hour. But one more exception to change that is just too much. Everyone here likes what we have, and we don't need any special exceptions for someone who remodeled their home and they decided to add something else to it. We all respect the fact that this family has their own children and adopted other children, and that's a marvelous thing, a lot of kudos. But making exceptions for this other stuff for the zoning, that's just a bridge too far, to be frank. Thank you. I think that's all we have signed up online. Anyone here in person? All right. With that, I will open to questions. Seeing no questions, go ahead and close the public hearing and open it up to discussion. Seeing no comments or discussion, I will take a motion. I move to recommend that City Council application 2023I00113 rezoning 6750 East Exposition Avenue from SSUF to SSUF1A, finding that the applicable review criteria have been met. Thank you. Second. Great. I got a motion and a second. Uh, we'll follow up. Melissa? Aye. Rachel? Aye. Thought? Aye. Heidi? Aye. Angel? Aye. Mary? Aye. Gosha? Aye. Fred? Aye. And I vote aye as well. That has been recommended on City Council. Um, with that, we don't have any information items today. I don't have anything from Thank you.